Welcome to Breaking Doctrine, presented to you by the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate at the Combined Arms Center at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The views expressed here are those of the individual and do not represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, U.S. Army, or U.S. Government. Hello, I'm Major Chris Parker, and this podcast topic is Concepts to Doctrine in Waypoint 2028. With me today is Colonel E.J. Carlberg, Director of the Combined Arms Integration Directorate, Dr. Paul Reese, Director of the Fielded Force Integration Directorate, or FFID, and Mr. Rich Creed, Director of the the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate, or CAD. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks. Now, before we dive into uh, this show's subject matter, I think it's only right that we give a breaking doctrine congratulations to now Mr. Creed, who has since retired since our last show. Sir, after how many years? About 32, Chris. 32, but who's yeah. counting, right? Yeah, that's right. It goes so, by fast. Forgive me, uh, both our listeners and you, sir, for defaulting to Colonel Creed if I do that today. I, I, it might happen. So, uh, Today we're discussing how the Army drives deliberate change across the force, specifically how a concept, once validated, becomes doctrine. And we're quite fortunate that as an Army in transformation, we have an opportunity to witness this process in real time by using the, Ar- the Army's future operational concept, multi-domain operations, or MDO, and the accompanying implementation strategy, or Waypoint 2028. Now, bringing MDO to life will affect much more than just doctrine and is sure to impact how the Army organizes, trains, and equips the force. But to keep this manageable, I think it's best to start with the relationship between concepts and doctrine, and we can expand from there. So, Mr. Creed, could you lead us off by breaking down this relationship for us? Uh, I know we've covered this in previous episodes, but just in case our listeners are unaware, what's the difference between a concept and doctrine? Yeah, Chris, so that's a good question because it comes up a lot, right? We talk about multi-domain operations as a future concept almost continuously. Strategic level leaders talk about it, um, but we don't fight off future concepts. We fight off our doctrines. So um, what Army doctrine says, we actually define ourselves. But Army doctrine are the fundamental principles with the supporting tactics, techniques, and procedures, plus the terms and symbols uh, used for the conduct of operation and as a guide for actions of operating forces and elements of the institutional force, the institutional Army, uh, that directly support operations in support of national objectives. All right, so it's the the means and, and ways by which we conduct our business. Whereas concepts are ideas for significant changes based on new approaches to the conduct of operations or technology or to address problems that current doctrine is insufficient to address. You know, there's been some change in the operational environment and the Army may need to change direction, for example. So we introduce concepts and experiment with those to to solve those new problems for which doctrine is inadequate. Um, There's some things to remember in that regard. Uh, We we try to maintain a close when we say dynamic, we mean active uh, and complementary relationship between the development of concepts uh, and the doctrine we have. In other words, we, we'd like to uh, make adjustments from a known point mm-hmm. as opposed to having a clean sheet and start from scratch every time we're looking at a problem. Um, doctrine's been with us a long time, and, and people have thought about many different types of problems in our Army's history over time. And sometimes, you know, problems tend to recur um, that are similar, not the same, but similar to problems in the past. So we have a way possibly of thinking about that. So we say concepts should proceed from an understanding of existing doctrine and capabilities. Um, and we say that because if you don't, 
Um, you could say that this is a new problem, but it's really just new to you, and there's actually a bunch of people that have been thinking about it before. And so you see that phenomenon once in a while. Um, the concepts can drive new ways to employ current organizations and capabilities. In other words, we have capabilities in organizations, but what if we changed those around a little bit, reordered the, their combinations and, and the way in which we employ different capabilities uh, in new and novel ways that, that creates a new way for the Army to conduct operations, but really doesn't require any new things so much as a new approach. Um, and there's historical examples of that in the past, right? All the armies that started the Second World War in Europe all had uh, motorized forces. They had tanks, they had airplanes, they had radios, and yet they fought very differently because they looked at uh, those combinations uh, and then they trained to those, co uh, those combinations differently from one another, some more successful than others. Uh, the other thing we say is that the elements of a concept that are validated by, by some level of rigorous analysis uh, are what we can incorporate in the doctrine. So we don't have theoretical things that we put in there. We put in things that had been shown to work in one way, shape, or form. Um, and that's a lot of what we'll talk about today is how, you know, we experimented with some of these ideas uh, to close uh, some of the capability shortfalls. And we do that with war games, uh, simulations, uh, and exercises. So now, <clears throat> turning a concept into reality is, is no small endeavor. Uh, it requires a comprehensive plan that accounts for each of the force modernization domains being doctrine, organization, training, materiel, leadership, personnel, facilities, and policy, otherwise known as .mil PFP. Now, Waypoint 2028 is the first half of the Army's strategy for redesigning the force to become fully MDO capable by 2035. But before we dive into the meat and potatoes of that, sir, um, Mr. Creed, can you shed some light on the origins of this effort? Like, what, where did this stem from? Well, I think it was a kind of a perfect storm of, of the right senior leaders, um, a changing operational environment, a recognition that the Army needed to modernize and, and, and determine what it was modernizing for, what it was to do. Um, and so there's a doctrinal aspect of that to our, our refocus on large-scale ground combat operations against peer threats in our 2017 edition of our capstone operations publication, FM30. Um, so there was that. Um, the doctrine could drive a lot of the cultural changes, and it immediately started to have some impact in that regard. Um, but when Lieutenant General Lundy was here and General Milley was the chief of staff, and General Lundy was a CAC commander, General Townsend was the uh, trade commander, you know, there was uh, a lot of things going on at the highest levels in the Army in terms of making decisions about resources. And, and so what are our priorities for modernization? And we, we realized that while the Combined Arms Center here kind of has lead on that, there hadn't been a formal uh, process for doing it in an integrated and synchronized way across all of the warfighting functions, across all the centers of elect, uh, excellence. And so people would joke about, well, we don't want to make decision by anecdote, right? Someone who ever told the most compelling story to the Army Chief of Staff or, or the Secretary the of the Army. The loudest voice in the room. Right yeah, there. right, the loudest yeah. voice in the room, exactly. So let's try to take a, a deliberate, uh, rational approach to this. And so um, General Milley directed the Combined Arms Center, Commander General Lundy, to, to uh, execute what they call the gap study. And we didn't call it the gap study at first. It was a study to determine, you know, in priority, what were the most important things that the Army had to do to modernize um, with a focus on reorganization more than new equipment. In other words, it wanted to be budget informed. 
um, in terms of how, uh, getting the Army to be prepared once again to conduct large-scale ground combat operations. And so um, we put a, a big team together uh, here at CAC, uh, the Center for Army Lessons Learned uh, and the M Mission Command Training Program folks and then uh, folks that conduct experiments across the Army over the last decade or so in, in various uh, forms and entities, all our, our warfighting uh, battle labs and, and so forth, uh, were tasked to go back and dig out uh, lessons learned and trends over time that were things that we didn't do particularly well and then figure out why. Um, and it, we went through uh, as a team you know, more than 100,000 pages of documents, uh, all kinds of, uh, of findings and so forth, because the Army had validated almost, was it 1,000 gaps? That every year were validated, and we said, okay, we can't fix 1,000. Um, so in the context of all these lessons learned and trends over the years, and then looking at a problem in a specific context, so we picked Europe, um, fighting a peer threat, two corps, two U.S. corps and an allied corps. And we looked at it and go, okay, so in this context, what can we do and not do? And certain things popped out uh, very uh, strongly. They were very obvious. Um, in fact, many of them were obvious, but they were only obvious after we did the process. We should have probably kind of understood that beforehand. But we didn't because our army was the same size in 2018 as it was 20 years ago, more or less, within a few thousand. Um, but it was a very different army than the army of 20 years ago. I mean, very different. Uh, we had uh, evolved over time to certain kinds of fights. And yet we were preparing as an army for a different kind of fight, a fight that was more uh, typical, say, 30 years ago. Um, and so all of that together kind of gave us a place to start. You know, a 100-page document, some briefings, um, sharing it around to get consensus among the Army senior leaders that they agreed it was a problem. Um, and then we said we weren't going to prioritize them. All 17 uh, gaps were, and we just picked 17 because they were the ones that we figured if we didn't close them, they weren't going to be 100% closed, but we needed to narrow those gaps, um, or, or we might not be successful in the next big war. And so that was kind of the point of departure. Um, and, and we've been refining that ever since, but that, that kind of set the stage for what Colonel Kahlberg and, and Dr. Reese uh, have been working on ever since is, okay, we have identified what the problems are, and then in this, this budget-informed um, budget world uh, and, you know, a, a continuously changing operational environment, you know, how do we prioritize what we need to do next? Rich, can I just overemphasize two points real quick? I think one of the things that you mentioned that, that was really important about that was against a peer threat, right? Because right. our enemies had evolved over the last years, our operational environment had changed, and we needed to account for that. So a lot of the gaps dealt with capacity as well as capability. Um, so I, I think that's important for everybody to, to remember as we go back and, and think about that. Uh, that was that was part of it. And then the other part of it is that there is reams of evidence that support all of that, right? Because we get constantly get asked, and we're being asked right now as we go into and we transition into this waypoint portion of it is, well, how do you know that? What backs that up? What's the what's the evidence? Whether it's a war game, an experiment, an operational lessons learned from call or something like that. So I think that's all very important, and that's the the basis that we've used as we transition now to this next phase with 
what we're going to talk a little bit about the waypoint and aimpoint stuff. So I just want to kind of pile in on those two comments. Well, you know, I think we'll go back to this. So we may want to explain to everybody yeah. what the difference between capacity and capability is because that's a huge point. In other words, when we say capacity, it's the degree to which you can do something and capabilities, whether you can do it all at all in the first place. Right. So some point. things you have to be able to do at scale and scope, you know, uh, particularly on the sustainment logistics yep. side. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, was the big wake-up call in many ways. No, I, I agree completely. Yep. And if, if I can add, Rich, I think one of the things that we were going to talk about it later, but I think it's a, it's a fit now, because what else was going on in the Army at that time is you had AFC stand up, and you got chiefs, chief sets of modernization priorities, equipping modernization priorities. And you could look at the 17 gaps as really organizational priorities right it's how the army structures itself to get stuff done and some equipping but it's really having the structure the people in the right spot to do the right job to close that gap where now you've got general murray and afc and their modernization priorities which are somewhat aligned to the 17 gaps not because those were gaps that we're addressing now both with material and organization and i think that's really what Waypoint does is tied in to, to the modernization effort because it provides landing spots because some of the material that General Murray and the Army are buying is, doesn't have a formation to receive it right now. So as we get into more detail, we'll kind of talk about those, where those modernization priorities will land. Well, and then the Futures Command piece, um, so when we say AFC, we mean Army Futures Command, but the... Um, you know, this multi-domain operations concept, we started off talking about the difference. Well, that multi-domain operations concept had a very clear vision on, you know, where the Army needs, you know, the things that the Army needs to be able to do, the problems we need to solve. Um, so we looked at those gaps through a multi-domain lens. And so some of those gaps are, are very specifically uh, addressing, well, first identifying the problem and then allowing us to address um, multi-domain aspects of the operational environment, both the environment itself and then those threats or those adversaries out there, what they can bring to bear. Um, so all of these solutions are MDO informed as well. It's not just purely a doctrine thing. It's uh, MDO on top of doctrine uh, and then in a resource constrained environment where we need to make priorities. So to kind of tie it to a doctrinal I guess concept here, we would say this is kind of like ADM. We have our current state with all its problems, and then we have our desired end state, and Waypoint 28 is that bridge to get there between the two. Um, yeah, to the, the desired design end state. methodology. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, so with that, I guess we'll transition now to dive in head first here with Waypoint 28. So, Colonel Carlberg, sir, could you lead us off and come in with an overview of what Waypoint 2028 is and its various components or lines of effort? Yeah, so um, I'll cover the we, had, we broke it down into six lines of effort. I'll cover the first three, because at the time I was um, Army Capabilities Manager, Echelons Above Brigade, and so I covered most EAB, divisions, corps, and theater armies, and the integration of all the warfighting functions at those echelons. So the first three lines of effort. The first one is division as a formation, right, and optimizing BC, BCTs to address one of the 17 gaps, which is lethality, but also mobility and reconnaissance and security. So, and this is a bit different than the division of the last 15 years, 
because divisions were headquarters, right? That, and then they would receive BCTs and they would see two BCTs. But one of the things that the GAP study showed us is that you need a division is actually in large scale combat is a tactical formation. It's fighting a tactical fight under the control of a core. And in some cases that core will be fighting a tactical fight. So you think of a division as a formation, it's got and a BCT as the maneuver arm of that division. So, but to resource that, right? We've got 18 divisions. To resource all those divisions to do everything they need to do is resource intensive and we probably won't ever get there. So what Waypoint did is we looked at three different types of divisions, really. You've got Joint Forcible Entry Division, that can go establish the lodgement, do joint forcible entry, be that global response force. And then you've got a penetration division, think heavy, capable of crossing multiple wet gaps, able to penetrate a defending enemy and maneuver to a position of advantage and then penetrate that enemy. Mm -hmm. And then for the remaining divisions, the ones we can't resource, there'll be a standard set but with the goal of if resources come available, we have we can generate optimal formations. Heavy being penetration, and then joint forcible entry, and then probably a light variant with some resources to enable their their operation. So divisions will be multi-domain maneuver capable. There are some intelligence really developments. There's some artillery developments that are on the horizon to enable them. To, for longer range cannon shooting with the extended range cannon artillery capability. And then there are a couple of intelligence integrating systems that are coming online that will enable that division commander to develop the situation. And then, so as you think of making a division of formation, that BCT as it exists today, whether it's an AI or an S, probably doesn't need everything it has if that divi- to enable to enable that division commander to shape shape the fight. The division commander needs resources, right? So you think artillery, you think intelligence, you think engineer, mobility, counter-mobility. You want that division commander to be able to weight the main effort as a part of his plan. So being able to give his main effort to DS cannon battalions to shape the fight and then have resources because all BCTs aren't committed at the same time. The follow and assume BCT doesn't need to have its artillery with it during that portion of the fight and then you organize for combat. And what you'll you'll hear some people say this is back to the future, but it's not really back to the future, right? Because you still have BCTs. BCTs have everything they do need to operate or they'll get it allocated from the division. So don't think of that. It's still a BCT that'll have all that capacity. So those are the main points on the division and the BCT. But when when you look at the BCT, we're also looking at optimizing them as well, right? So you think a heavy BCT, there's some capacity inside the ABCTs today that was due to force structure decisions were, were changed. There's that lethality gap. So building out an armor BCT to have everything it needs. And then the division 
probably needs CAB, if it's a formation, a division cavalry squadron to, to get after the division commander's IRs. They're building it out of hide right now. For every warfighter, a division commander builds a cavalry capability out of hide. So why not give him that from Jump Street? So it can, so the Army command train and equip it, but so that squadron can train in its mission set all the time. It'll have a medal. Yeah, for the division commander. Okay, but then you look at the, the infantry brigade combat team. There's got to be a better way to organize that formation, make it more lethal, more effective. And we've got a couple options there. One would be a completely tactically mobile IBCT where every soldier has a seat in a vehicle where they can maneuver to their last covered and concealed position, dismount, and move from there, but then if they're successful on that objective, but then identify another objective, a terrain feature or two away, they can immediately mount back up, maneuver quickly to that objective. And then the other formation we're looking at is extremely strategically mobile formation, can deploy in, I think, 70? Yeah, we're still working through Yeah, we're still working through the numbers, but less than a third the aircraft required for a current IBCT. It can deploy strategically, be in position, upgunned, mortars at every echelon, 11-man squads, and all the new kit with placeholders inside the formation for robotics and other capability and capacity that will be coming online in the not-too-distant future, but also tailored for dense urban terrain and subterranean operations because they, are every, they aren't encumbered by all the wheels that are in the current IBCT. Yeah, and I think that's a, I think that's a key point, EJ, and this it goes to what you were just talking about, you know, this waypoint idea, you know, right? So this is, this is the two worlds kind of coming together, right? So you have our modernization world that's out there with Army Futures Command and things that they're bringing along, plus what we're doing with how we fight and how we use our doctrine to get after that. So now some of those things that Colonel Karlberg just explained this 100% tactical mobility wouldn't have been possible without some of the modernization equipment that is coming online from Army Futures Command or some of the lethality that our squads are getting from Army Futures Command. So it's looking to the future a little bit at the same time, trying to figure out how do we use that as it's coming online to fight. So I think that gives us some options for senior leader decisions here in the future to bring those together as we, as we go forward. Yeah, and that, that's, yeah, and that, that's a great point, Dr. Reese. So, what Waypoint 28 is, is options, right? We aren't saying that the Army has to have a certain number of Joint Forcible Entry or Penetration Divisions or Standard Divisions. We're saying the Army needs this capacity. And within our current structure, these are options to get that capacity, both for BCTs, divisions. And then when you talk cores and theater armies, right, you're talking the echelon that'll probably be where convergence happens, right? When you're talking multi-domain convergence, just looking at the authorities to do, to operate at the ranges that multi, and over the systems that multi-domain operations happen on. You're talking at a minimum core, but more than likely theater level. So your ASCCs or theater armies need capacity and your cores need capacity to be able to feed the joint targeting process, to be able to integrate national level assets to bring to bear to accomplish the combatant commander's 
desired end state in that theater. So that's that's where our work is taking place there. But you also look at the other formations that that the Army is experimenting with and standing up. The multi-domain task force operates at the theater level. It, it belongs to most of them are service retained, will be service retained, but it generally will operate forward. And it, it's purpose built to do multi-domain operations. It's in the title. Right. So, so, so just to put these, these, some of these organizational changes into perspective, sir, so this is what we're trying to accomplish here, both from above with the theater armies in the Corps and below with how we're looking at the BCTs, is we're trying to enable that division commander and that division to be the, that decisive action, that unit of decisive action. Whereas modular army, it was the BCTs that we were gonna, that were gonna go out and do this. Now it's back to the division and we're just trying to figure out the best table of options for that to happen, correct? Well, that's a very simple, I mean that, yes, it's correct, but there's a very simple, um, approach that. and I mean so that kind of becomes a narrative of sorts right and I you know how much I hate narratives you know <laughs> but it's more a matter of of how we got what we are the, for what when we went to the modular force we never resourced the divisions and corps and theater armies as they were supposed to be designed at the time because our focus was elsewhere on building BCTs then we've cut them twice in terms of the force structure assigned to divisions, corps, and theater armies. Um, and yet the number of missions that come up on them, whether we're talking about competition below armed conflict, right, or crisis or anywhere else, uh, continue to, to get bigger. So if we look at this whole thing from a holistic standpoint and say we're really about building the most flexible army possible for the spectrum of competition, uh, whether we're talking big wars, little wars, peer threats, or others, you have to to fix some of the things that were the most broke. Um, and just because we can gut things out at certain echelons now during you know uh, an exercise that's done in simulation or something that's done during competition with a lot of augmentation and deliberate planning doesn't mean that that's going to work in a fight. And I think that gets to the gist of this echelons above brigade challenge. Because there's a perception out there, those headquarters, oh, they're too big, they don't do anything. Well, no, they've got a lot to do. They're busy, busy as can be, all the time. They're busy, nice as can be. Yeah, and that's to play off of that. So that goes, our third line of effort was echelons above brigade command and control, right? So you look at our current threat, and they know where we are as soon as we turn our radios on. So the more headquarters that you put in the field, the more targets they've got and they've got decent magazine depth and so in the eabc2 work we kind of looked at all the formations that are out there not just bcts not just division headquarters and cores and ASCCs, but there's i can't remember off the top of my head i think it's like a yeah 200 plus eab non-maneuver formations right and then Everybody looks at them all the same. They look at a division headquarters and all those formations as the same thing. Whereas a division, and this is General Rainey's line, you know, a division and core headquarters properly manned, trained, and equipped to do its mission set as a, as a, as a headquarters is tooth, right? That's a warfighting headquarters that is controlling operations. And then you've got all these other EAB's headquarters that serve a purpose. Mm -hmm and they receive capacity. They don't necessarily have a downtrace. So through our work, we looked at all these formations to generate some options to both minimize the number of headquarters in the field 
but also to optimize them. Because one of the things we found during the How the Army Fights work, which was in between the gap study and Waypoint, it was looking at the 17 gaps address a whole bunch of things. The challenge with the 17 gaps is the centers developed them, right? And everybody was so focused on their gap that they developed the best solution paying inside their portfolio to build the solution. And they mitigated their gap. But the challenge was, and what, how the Army fights did, and it occurred at the optimum time to do it, right as COVID hit, so and the teams was coming up, and BTCs were open, and all the 06 leadership that needed to be involved was available. And we spent three weeks looking across the competition continuum, getting the centers that developed the GAP solutions to lay out how their solution and how their warfighting function operated with that new capacity and capability. So everybody kind of laid that out. And looking at that, when we outbriefed General Rainey is when he said, okay, we need some options to organize this so that we can fight it. Because that, that's one thing. The GAP study addressed the GAP. It didn't necessarily well tell you how combined arms would utilize that GAP in a fight against a near-peer threat. And so that's, that's what Waypoint is in, is options to do that. Well, that's how you also could mitigate some uh, of the zealots out there on a particular issue or a particular topic, the, the loud voice kind of thing that, that Dr. Reese was talking about. You know, when you force everybody, because, I mean, you couldn't pick and choose. Everybody had to participate in each of the war games and hear everybody else out. So you had to defend your position against everybody from a combined arms perspective it was nothing done in isolation which i think was powerful in terms of making sure you have integrated solutions as opposed to somebody's favorite hobby horse solution kind of thing oh and i, I think that's exactly right and they, they led to two things right one thing was redundancies or at least potential redundancies are out there and if you're in a resource constrained environment or you have new capability coming online that you don't necessarily have a bill pair for it allowed you then to have some options to pay for those um, but then it also it, it kind of led to what else were we missing, right? And the last two lines of effort that uh, kind of led to that was the protection line of effort that we've been working on and then the information line of effort. So the, the protection line of effort is, okay, the warfighting function of protection is, you know, as is is, is some senior leaders had talked about before, is just something that we've always thought about afterwards, right? We, you know, we developed a plan and then we sprinkle some protection on it is a phrase that people like to use a little bit. But now... Because the enemy can see us, because the operational environment has changed, because we're dealing with peer threats, they can see us at all times. Protection has to be an integrated piece of that. So we've really been in a hard effort on this line of effort to push protection, unity of effort, unity of command within that warfighting function. What belongs in the warfighting function and how do we make sure that we have uh, you know, the single point of contact on a staff, a division or core staff that the commander can turn to and talk about protection with? Um, so that's been a really big focus to that uh, on the staffs as well as then the rear area. So how many times have we had some organization, all well-meaning, just show up in your battle space and say, I'm here to help, and then all of a sudden it drains, you know, three platoons worth of combat power to help. So, you know, how do we do that? How do we get unity of effort in the rear area too? One of the number one things coming back from every warfighter is that, you know, nobody controls the rear areas very well. Uh, because everybody's focused forward. So how do we then establish protects? An option is a protection brigade, similar to a MEB, but with a little bit more capability uh, that currently exists. 
to get after that unity of effort in the rear areas. So that's a big line of effort that the Maneuver Support Center of Excellence has been leading us on. Uh, obviously, everybody in collaboration with that. And then information, right? Information uh, is another uh, gap that we've been spending a lot of time on. And I won't get into all the details about that, but what we have been working on with the Cyber Center and then obviously with, with the Doctrine Division here at Fort Leavenworth is, you know, what is, what is that right mix of information advantage capabilities at Echelon? What do we need at Echelon to get after this? You know, how do we compete in the information uh, domain and how do we get after all that kind of stuff and, and right now we just don't have the right thing so we're working through a bunch of different options whether or not we need new formations do we need organizational redesign uh, at echelon in order to try and get after that and and do that we've had a, a big summit out here at leavenworth within the last couple of months to get our doctrine straight and now we're moving out with you know what are some options that the senior leaders can choose from as far as formations and staff goes and then, and then the last thing, you know, and it's really not the last thing, it probably should be the first thing, is just the doctrine in general, right? So as, as, as Mr. Creed talked about, is we got to have that in place so we can move forward because none of this stuff that we're bringing on board, none of these things that we're trying to develop or change our organizational is any good if we don't have the right doctrine for it. We don't have the soldiers who can train on this type of uh, stuff, and we don't have the right leaders. So it's all kind of founded in that last line of effort, which is making sure we have good uh, doctrine in place as we go forward. So that's that's kind of waypoint in a nutshell. Uh, you know, it's waypoint, waypoint 2028, waypoint 2028-29. You know, we've we've decided that we, the senior leaders, have kind of decided. Uh, you know, we need to relook this right every year. You know, our goal is out here, aim point 2035, that multi-domain capable army that's out there. How do we adjust every year as we go forward to make sure we're on azimuth to, to get out there? So I think that's very important and to provide senior leaders options uh, to move forward. So uh, we're in a really good place moving forward and, and we got a lot of work to do uh, as, as we go forward. Well, thanks sir for that. The, it's, a, it's definitely a, a serious, a large undertaking and it, and it has to be flexible, I think, to, to stay viable. But I'm curious, and maybe Colonel Carlberg, you can help us out with this. How does this Waypoint 2028 relate to the wider Army modernization strategy? All right, so Army Futures Command writes the wrote the modernization strategy, and they maintain it every year. So inside that, they, they not only have materiel solutions, right? They aren't addressing just materiel gaps. They're, they have concepts that have organizational concepts, right? And a couple of the formations that they think we need in 2035 Waypoint is setting the seed corn for, right? So theater strike effects group have a capacity that that Army Futures Command thinks we need. We agree. I mean, it's been, they've experimented on it. And so that that's a part of Waypoint. The information advantage work that we've done. We put a lot more meat on the bones than existed when they had the icon on Aimpoint. And now I think the Army understands a little better what it is. They know... I mean, we are, we do not do well in the information fight, if you want to say that. And we, we need a means to address it. And it's figuring out, now that we've got some ideas on the table to experiment with, we'll figure it out and, and run that experimentation. And then MDTF was a part of the 17 gaps, the multi-domain task force was. But it's providing a landing spot for a lot of multi-domain capability that's coming online as soon as next year i think we're rolling out some of the first parts of it but the challenge with that is the man train right the equips coming but you've got to man and train that formation so fire center cyber center 
Intel Center are all behind, you know, Army Futures Command's awesome because it's bringing all this capability really fast, but the centers of excellence are required to generate the people to use that and to train it. And some of the capabilities require us to work with other services to get training and coordinating all that in the year of execution or in the near future is a challenge resource-wise for the big army, for the department. And there's ongoing mission analysis, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, the old joke about if you don't mission, do mission analysis up front, you're going to do it before you're done because you're never going to get where you need to be. And so it's a continuous run and staff estimate on some of these things. Um, MDTF being a perfect example, you know, got guys trying to write doctrine on that down there, but we don't have one yet. Um, we've done some experimentation with them, but, uh, you know, we wanted to move fast as an Army to, to field some of these formations. So you, you end up in, in a situation where um, we may be rapidly updating doctrine like, like every few months as the capabilities come to bear because while we know what the big problems are we're trying to solve, um, when it gets to fielding capabilities and formations and then training them out and then figuring out how to use them, um, that's where you're going to figure out whether you're, aim, you're focused on the right problem and you define the problems the right way. Um, so we have lots of discussions about, okay, so we get this, so how are we going to use it? And, and what's the means through which it's employed? It's not the same as something else because it's new, but if the processes for employment are going to be Army processes or joint promise, uh, processes, then what that does is drive you towards certain kinds of solutions, at least initially, until you can experiment with it. So if something um, is some really long-range surface-to-surface fire system of some sort, well, okay, if, it, if it's really long-range, then it's not materially different than how you would have to look at joint fires, right? So maybe I have to employ that through joint processes, through uh, a, a service component other than the Army for a joint force commander. I mean, that could happen. And so we kind of have to keep our, our, all our options open, as they said, um, as, as we you know, work our way through figuring out how to make these things work. We know they're good ideas. We know that they're going to work. Um, but we got to figure out, you know, do they all work together? Do we spread them out? Are they task organized, you know, again with somebody else? And, and those kinds of ideas. And all of these things are, are you know, all of the gaps that ultimately have to be looked at that way, I think. And, and, and I think that's one thing that doctrine really helps helped us as we went through this process because I think we've got really well-developed integrating processes, right? The, MDMP, the targeting process, the intelligence information collection process, and looking at how these formations and capabilities are utilized. And that's one thing the commander has said he doesn't want to change. We aren't adding a new, there isn't a multi-domain targeting process, there's the targeting process. And also the joint targeting process, which is a little different than ours, but we've got to play in that space because it goes to authorities. The ranges we're talking about, the the systems that we're operating on require authority, so you've got to go through that process because that's where you get get at those authorities. And, and then it's a question of us working with the other services to get the targeting process to keep pace with our ability to service targets. As we identify targets earlier, we're going to need a process that's agile enough to service those targets through that process. Sure. So I think it's it's key that, that the experimentation, the testing, the wargaming kind of as we go along is, is, is central to making this idea play out. 
uh, by, well, 2028, and then definitely by, obviously, 2035 with the aim point force. So, Dr. Reese, if, if you could maybe give us some background on the, uh, as part of the campaign of learning, some of the experiments, simulations, and war games that we've done or that you, you guys have done with in support of Waypoint 2028? Sure. No, I, and I think, um, you know, back to the point about COVID has its pluses and minuses, right? So, COVID allowed us to do the How the Army Fights, allowed us to put a lot of maturity into this Waypoint 2028 idea. But at the same time, you know, a lot of these ideas we were going to uh, experiment on uh, in Europe, right, for Defender Europe uh, mm -hmm. and some of the forces that got caught halfway deployed, halfway, you know, back here in CONUS. So we lost opportunities because of COVID and we gained some opportunities because of COVID. So, but you're exactly right. There has to be that campaign of learning that, to, to get after this because we are talking about large, potentially large amount of change for our Army, you know, mm -hmm. shifting from a BCT-centric to a division-centric formation Army. Uh, and the things that you know, Colonel Carlberger alluded to with, with the different lines of effort that we're working on, it affects every echelon of, mm -hmm. of our Army. So we got to make sure we get it as right as possible. It won't be perfect, which is why we have organizations called like Call that didn't get the lessons learned and we can adapt and, and learn from that. Mm -hmm. But we do have to experiment with it and we do have to wargame with it. So we have a lot of things going on. We have, we're working very closely with Army Futures Command, particularly Futures and Concept Centers and their experimentation capability that they have. Uh, the, the used to be the TRADOC Analysis Center, now the Analysis Center for the Army over here at Fort Leavenworth. We've done a lot of work uh, with them on experimentations uh, on what these formations can do or not do based on some new capabilities, new organizational uh, design, and then, you know, as Mr. Creed said, you know, how do we employ them differently? Uh, so we've done a lot of work with them, and we're right in the middle right now. We're working with the Center for Army Analysis uh, up at Fort Belvoir in a, in a month-long uh, war game right now, looking at some of our uh, design formations, making sure that what we're doing makes us better, right? It doesn't do us any good to change for change or to change and, and degrade our capabilities. So right now we're in the middle of doing all those kinds of things. Uh, we have a couple more months of hard learning uh, coming up before some of these designs will we'll pitch to the senior leaders and see if they want to go left or right. Uh, but right now, the initial results are coming back very positive. That we're, you know, we're, we're taking the new capabilities that are coming online with some of these new ideas of how to organize, and, it, it, and it's making us better and more lethal, more mobile. Uh, so, th so right now, positive. Still a long way to go, but a, a lot of good things coming up through through these experimentations with the war games and then also, uh, you know, with the joint warfighting assessments that go on every year, the project convergence experiments that the Futures Command runs every year. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff on there that we'll be able to get back to, to tie this all up, back to our LISCO gap study, which was based on, you know, pages and pages of documentation. Same thing we need to do for the Waypoint Force to make sure we can back up what we really want to do. Yep. Yes, sir. And but another thing to highlight, um, is experimentation that was done in the run-up to the 17 gaps that used it. So there was, prior to the Defender, every year there was a fires exercise in Europe that kind of, because the ASCC saw the gap and wanted a problem, they thought they needed a theater, theater fires command. So they experimented with it beginning in 2015, I think was the first one. And then every year after that, and that led to a well- a well-developed organizational solution, the Theater Fires Command. And then with the MDTF in the Pacific, that's, it, is, it is a capacity that has been involved in all of their theater-level exercises since they stood it up in 2017, late 16, 17.
have to check that date. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not 100. If it's yeah, I mean that's the problem too. Is you know a lot of these things take time to, to do right. So mm -hmm. it takes time to get the right personnel on board and make sure the right capabilities are there. So we have to we have to be patient, uh, but yet move at speed in order to bring some of these things online mm -hmm. uh, for our army. Yep. Well, and we also trying to bring our allies, partners online. So, you know, we used to do the Army Warfighting Experiment or Army Warfighting Assessment, and then it became the Joint Warfighting Assessment, and it very quickly became um, combined in the sense of, of inviting allies and partners to do that. When we did the old, I don't remember what NIE stands for now, uh, uh, experiment that we did for a decade down yeah. at Fort Bliss, over time, we had started to include allies in there, too, because of the technical interoperability bit. Because, uh, you know, we started all this off when we, we talked about the, the CAP study. It was two U.S. and an allied corps. And so we always say we fight with allies and partners, right? So um, if we want them to be able to contribute, we kind of have to uh, show them some of the stuff we're working on um, so that they have a hint and that they as they modernize their armies, they're kind of working on on at least parallel lines, if not converging lines, to borrow a word. Yeah, I mean, as we speak right now, we've got two of our allies participating in a warfighter exercise, right? So to, to learn, to make sure that we're interoperable, uh, we're not going to fight alone anywhere. Uh, so how do we make sure that we have our modernization efforts, our training efforts, our doctrine is all linked? Yep, that's a great point. Well, seeing that this is breaking doctrine, it's only right that we circle back, I think, to uh, the doctrine piece, and that's the uh, line of effort number six. Um, Mr. Creed, could you drill down a little bit and give us an overview of what we're looking at with the doctrinally with Waypoint 2028? Yeah, so I've kind of touched on a lot of these points. So line of effort six is doctrine, and it's, it's about making sure our doctrine is modernized along with everything else that we're working on. Um, EJ mentioned that some of the things are new, the information being one, that while we addressed in doctrine, we hadn't put the amount of intellectual effort into it that we have over the last year. And so um, what we're trying to do is, one, make sure that each of the lines of effort is doctrine-informed, so, again, not clean-sheeting things, unless something just flat-out doesn't exist. And there are a few things like that out there. MDTF would be a good example. There's bits and pieces of the MDTF that there's probably decent doctrine for, but there's other parts of it because they're new capabilities that they're not. So identifying what needs to be revised, what needs to be started uh, afresh. Um, and then maybe in some cases, I haven't seen the ship, but there may be some cases where there's certain things we may not do the same way anymore. And so we might not do those. Um, but what that means is it's incumbent upon us to participate in these events. Uh, and so we, we send um, smart folks out to listen in on each of these events. Uh, and all the other lines of effort um, to make sure that we have the right situational awareness because there are things going on as part of the wake point effort that are not necessarily related tightly to some other priorities that we have. But we need to make sure, for example, in our FM3 revision, that we don't put things in there that are contradicted by what we're doing uh, and what we have learned in terms of the experimentation during waypoint and aimpoint. So um, those are the big things, really. Now, <clears throat> sir, how does it actually play out with the, I guess, the force design update or FDU? How do we, how does, how does do the doctrine world that we live in, how does that, how is it impacted by the FDU and, and what's that relationship generally look like as we create these new organizations? Yeah, there's kind of a push-pull okay. aspect to it. Um, 
So talk about divisions as an example. You know, so we did doctrine when we did the 3.0 revision, and we realized that this, this idea of a rear area, uh, the Army had done away with rear area command posts for um, its divisions probably 15, 20 years ago. Um, and so we didn't have that capability. So EJ talked about divisions, task-organized cavalry squadron-like organizations. Well, they've been, each of the divisions has been task-organizing something called the Support Area Command Post for, for almost five years now, since General Milley was at Forcecom, um, and, or certainly General Abrams. And the, uh, you know, it was never really adequate and, and um, because it was always kind of a pickup game. And so folks looked at it differently. And so what we put in the doctrine was that s some entity at the division needed to command and control the operations that take place between the close area and the, and the division rear boundary. Um, so over time, that informed some FDUs in, in, in terms of providing um, a small number of people and, and some equipment dedicated to that purpose. Um, and that, that will probably get updated again here in the future. That, that's an example. But there's also examples of FDUs um, in terms of um, changes to organizations or new organizations or, or, or so forth that makes us go back to doctrine and say, hey, we need to update this because we, we can now account for this better capability and, and maybe expand the, the roles and responsibilities of a particular echelon. Um, we have more time to respond to the, the latter example, right, because that doesn't happen real fast. Mm -hmm. You know, it's usually a flash to bang time for a couple of years. There are some times where we move much faster than that. And SFAB, the Security Force Assistance Brigade, and the MDTF are two very recent examples of moving much faster than waiting a couple of years before we react. You'll have to get uh, Mr. Tuig on for a, for a podcast. You may need two or three of them to explain the whole FDU process. So, yeah, that could yeah. be, be a tough one. Yeah, that. <laughs> keep it at the wave tops, I think, is safe for that. Um, now, sir, could you give us a preview of any of the, the pubs that we're expecting that you're expecting to see in support of Waypoint 2028? Yeah, so we've got really two big ones mm -hmm. from our perspective. Um, so the FM 3.0 revision that's going to make multi-domain operations the Army's uh, uh, operating concept. It's going to be evolutionary from unified land operations. Um, so as such, all the things that we say the Army has to do now will continue to, to do. Uh, but we evolved towards some of the problem sets, very specific problem sets that MDO is designed to deal with. Essentially, a peer threat that can contest you uh, through a layered defense uh, and against which we have to conduct expeditionary offensive operations um, where uh, the joint force will be contested in every domain. And so you're talking about long-range surface-to-surface -surface fires, long-range integrated air defenses, and then uh, in both cases, systems that are uh, enabled by a global ISR network. Um, so we're narrowing the problem set from a general discussion of MDO to very specific uh, cases where Army forces would be employed by Joint Force commanders. Uh, so that's our big effort in CAD. Um, the next priority, and we're working in parallel, but it's, uh, it's probably going to lag by a few months just so that we can make all the pieces fit together, uh, is an Army doctrinal publication on information. It'll be the first one we have. Uh, on, on that topic, and it'll be fairly broad to link all the different uh, applications and, and uses, military uses of information, whether it's data as a commodity uh, or employing Army capabilities to generate cognitive effects against 
uh, either an enemy or an adversary or, or another interested party, an audience, right? Um, so those are our big bits. The other thing that we're doing, and we're doing it in real time as part in support of the Waypoint 2028 uh, and Waypoint 2035, is updating our echelons of a brigade publication. So as these guys and their teams work through the redesign of divisions and corps, the roles and responsibilities of divisions, corps, and theater armies, we are capturing that and updating that doctrine this year as we go um, so that when we finish 3.0, they all are in alignment with each other. So there'll be some things that are released for, first, for example, in those books um, because we haven't finished the other ones yet, and that's okay because uh, it's a continuous process. We can't just snap a chalk line and change everything at once, so we're changing as we go. Um, those are the big ones, uh, I think, the most applicable to what we're talking about today. Yep. With the, the information piece, because I know this is, this is quite the buzz um, in the Army and, and whatnot, and different, different camps have formed, can you give us any insight on as to what we think that doctrinal manual will look like and, and how we visualize information and the information environment? Is it a domain? Is it any of that, sir, that you wish to, to comment on at this point? Yeah, so like these guys, I could I can say that I spent COVID working on information with, with uh, other folks around the Army. I mean, that's really been something that we've been trying to get after. So there's, you know, all kinds of challenges with defining what exactly the problem is we're trying to solve, you know. And so one of the great frustrations is people say, the Army's got to do this and the Army's got to do that. Well, the Army doesn't do anything. The Army's an institution. It's a force provider, the Joint Force Commander, so it's Goldwater Nichols, right? So we don't fight wars or campaigns. We don't conduct anything uh, except under the authorities of a Joint Force Commander, I mean. Um, from an army, you know, Dopnell PF perspective, right? We we provide capabilities, and so defining the problems in, in the information realm is always a challenge because we say, oh, we're getting our butts kicked in, you know, election interference or something. Well, okay, that's great, maybe true, maybe not. But it, even if it is true, what do you want the army to do about it? And so that what drives us back towards, you know, what is army or green contribute to the joint force fight in purple? Uh, contribute to the whole of government effort in red, white, and blue. And so we keep working our way back to that. And, and I think we've made a, a great amount of progress over the last year. We, we recognize that um, all Army capabilities can generate cognitive effects in the human or information dimensions of an operational environment. In fact, we're going to look at the operational environment a little differently in terms of one operational environment comprised of the three dimensions of human, physical, and information. Um, why did we do that? Well, because Army formations operate in assigned areas of operations. And so if you think of the domains as a global construct, um, every assigned area of operations has three dimensions representing an OE mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that uh, affects what Army formations do. Um, so just that baseline that, that, that General Rainey gave us to work with gives us the ability to keep things from being stovepiped and separate and making information considerations, uh, the human and information dimensions of an OE, um, and then how we employ, whether they're human or information capabilities or physical capabilities, to influence each of the three dimensions. They're all intertwined. Um, and so that's where we're going. So I mentioned ADP 3 or uh, 313, that's what we're gonna call the ADP on information. And it'll be a, there'll be a field manual. Um, that we work on that's gonna be called Information Advantage. 
or information advantage activities. We haven't finished the name yet. But that's going to be about employing Army capabilities to generate cognitive effects in the human dimension. Uh, using information, what we used to call information capabilities or information itself, to change perceptions, uh, to influence behavior and so forth. Um, but to also not forget that physical capabilities can be used to, to generate cognitive effects or change behavior as well. And so, and that happens above and below the threshold of, of armed conflict. Um, see, that's the, 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 the tough part, the challenge with dealing with information. And, you know, our, our enemies will talk about, our, our adversaries will talk about information warfare. But, you know, that's the one method of conflict that spans the competition continuum. It happens below the threshold of armed conflict. It happens above the threshold of armed conflict. And you have very different authorities and, and different um, things that you're allowed to do. Um, and so how does the Army fit into that? So that's the challenge that, that we're working after. But we think we've got, uh, you mentioned the information summit that was here in February. We think we've got all the guidance we need to really you know, knock out some good first drafts and then see what the rest of the Army says about it. Now, given that a lot of our information capabilities are obviously constrained by authorities, as you mentioned, sir, I think what a lot of our listeners might be concerned with is how we understand the environment. You mentioned the new, or I guess not the new, but the way we're going to reframe kind of looking at the OE with those three dimensions and five domains. Do you foresee a change to the frameworks that we use doctrinally in understanding and visualizing the, the OE? And I mean, specifically PMS-CPT, ASCOPE, METTC, do you see that changing at all, sir? Well, so we had information as a component to PMISI, mm -hmm. for example, right? Um, and when you made it a separate thing, I think we, we inadvertently um, stovepiped it off as a separate thing. Okay, you guys on the staff go over work on the eyepiece of PMISI. Um, so what we did is in, with METTC, you know, the old uh, very tactical operational or uh, tactical variables, right? Um, is we've added information to METTC. Um, and so we're going to call it METTCI, but there's not going to be a separate I column of things to think about. The I is going to be worked into the METTC piece of it because if you're going to integrate your approach to it, it needs to be integrated in the political, mm -hmm. the military. Um, it needs to be in, into how we look at terrain, how we can have civil considerations, um, you know, pretty much everything other than weather. But even things like terrain have information impacts on, on people's perceptions, right? So you kind of have to think about those kinds of things. So that's how we're going to get after it. The operational framework will, will be largely the same. We'll use the same tools, uh, but we're going to be more inclusive in terms of uh, addressing information in a straightforward manner. All things about information, whether it's the data uh, and, and how we exchange data, process data, and so forth, uh, knowledge management, information management kind of things. Uh, or about doing things in such a way to generate cognitive effects deliberately and make that central to the operations process. So uh, that's how we're planning to get after it. So it'll be interesting to see how it's received. Well, gentlemen, is there anything I missed that we should discuss, or have we covered all things Waypoint 28? I think I just I would be remiss if I didn't add, since I'm supposedly the integration director. Um, we. We talked a lot about doctrine, organization, and material, right? Okay, but there is the rest of .milpf that needs to be key, and particularly here at the Combined Arms Center is very important for the training side and for the leader development side. So I think, you know, as people think about Waypoint and we think about Aimpoint, it has to be that total package. It doesn't do us any good 
to have all this new kit, this new doctrine, these new organizations that we don't know how to train with them and we don't have the right leaders for them. So we're doing a lot. CAC-T is doing a lot in the in the training environment world along with the proponents, but particularly the CTCs. How do we modernize our CTCs to train these capabilities? How do we make sure our simulations that we go through reflect the new capabilities that we're getting? How do we do training at home stations and multi-domain ranges and things like that? So so there's a large effort in that regard. And then on the leader development side, you know, General Marini's number one priority, uh, making sure that we have the leaders set, right? Making sure we have leaders that can lead us into the future, that can lead these new multi-domain formations, have the right knowledge, skills, behaviors uh, to lead us into the future. So I think it's that whole total package that when delivered for the Army, you know, as it comes online, it's going to be very powerful. Uh, so I think that's important. And that's a process. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, we didn't, we didn't like snap our fingers and all of a sudden become the Airland Battle Army, right? It took a lot of effort to educate the force, um, senior leader involvement, um, testing, right? You remember how, I mean, you were expected, there were certain things everybody was expected to know. It didn't matter what kind of arm, uh, formation you were a part of, what your branch was or anything else. It was, all right, so I know, you know, when I come out of this school, what my contribution is supposed to be as an infantry officer, uh, uh, an ordnance officer, whatever. So I think that'll be yeah, that's a good point. the follow-through yep. is, is huge. Yeah, and I would say we've been flat, right? It's not a trade. This isn't a trade hoc effort. This is an army effort. Mm -hmm. We've been very open with Forcecom divisions and corps and ASCCs. We've had multiple engagements with all of them. So it's informed. This isn't. This is informed by dialogue, by commander to commander dialogue across across the army. I think that's that's part of the reason that it's gained so much momentum. And I. I think the other thing to highlight to go to Paul's point on training and people is our relationship with Forcecom has improved, but Forcecom's got, got a thing called rearm, which is how we're going to get to Waypoint, right? It's, it normalizes modernization mm -hmm. across the Army, trying to generate some stability for units. And by doing that, it's going to help us program this and it'll help us get the right people to the right place because they'll know when they're when it's going to happen two or three years from now so that we can generate prime the pump so to speak to get the training done the institutional training done prior to that formation coming into existence so i think that's that helps important. us balance the readiness and modernization piece together sir roger well on that note i think we'll wrap things up thank you for joining me today Good to be here, Chris. I'd also like to thank our listeners and note that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the United States Army, the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command, or the Combined Arms Center. I'm Major Chris Parker, and this is Breaking Doctrine.